this is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe and that notification button, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams. My co-host tonight from uh, Steelers Nation South is Rollo Coffin. We're joined by a special guest, former Harlem All-Star basketball player. He's a motivational speaker, an author, has his own youth character education program. He's inspired people of all ages, young and old. We have Les Pee Wee Harrison here. Les, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, kids say deuces. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you here. We got an interview tonight, and we are going to jump right into our, our Q&A. So you are the second child of 11 in Nebraska, uh, you know, a little bit smaller in stature. What made you decide you wanted to play basketball? <laughs> and, and did your height hold you back in coach's eyes at all? Well, no, not really. Uh, I mean, I, nothing ever really held me back. Uh, my father... My father just never, my father was 6'3", and my father just never let me know how tall I was, you know, because everything, he expected the same out of all of us, no matter what the height was. Okay. Back in 2021, as part of your uh, I Choose Love initiative, you said that you wanted to go to uh, the, the capital cities of all 50 states. Yeah. Did you make it to all 50? And what made you want to do that? Well, I made it to all 50 states. The biggest reason why um, uh, I embarked upon that was that when uh, the civil unrest was going on, everybody was preaching hatred. It was, uh, uh, it, it was, it was almost sick to say anybody's lives mattered outside of Black lives mattered, you know? And we know that's not true. And there was a, a, I felt that there was a narrative of hatred being pushed. And I said, hey, look, you know what? Because I was asked to be a part of a lot of these uh, uh, gatherings. I don't know what to, the correct terminology would be for that. But I said, hey, look, you know what? If I do something, it's going to be inclusive of everyone. You know, we whatever problems we got into, it was everyone. And whatever problems we get out of it is going to take everyone. So I'm not about the divisional stuff. I'm about the inclusion and inclusion mean working together. So uh, I I came up with I Choose Love because that's something that everybody could relate to. And love just meant that I respect you enough to sit down at the table with you and uh, listen to what you have to say. And I found out that the more, more oftentimes that has happened, there's more things that people have in common than what they uh, don't. But there's so many narratives being pushed out there that people are just buying into the narratives. And I never wanted to be one of those guys. Never wanted to be one of those guys. So you've played with some legends, Curly Neal, uh, Middle Lark Lemon, Pistol Pete Maravich. What did you learn from their mentoring? Well, uh, people always kind of ask me that. And one of the big things is that from Middle Lark, I learned showmanship. Uh, Middle art came up to work, came to work every day, and he studied what he was doing, you know. And Curly, I learned how to effectively use uh, charisma. You know, uh, Curly didn't say a whole lot of words, but he knew right when to smile. He knew right when to to to, to back off. And um, Pistol Pete, uh, 
is between Pistol Pete and Gator Rivers. Uh, Gator Rivers uh, was um, a master ball handler, you know, but it was more stationary. Pistol Pete stuff was game, game uh, craftsmanship, you know. And so I try to merge that together. And then you have to throw Marcus Haynes in there because Marcus Haynes was like a, a grandfather to me. And he was always teaching me how to sell it and how to be bipartisan, how to you know, conduct myself in business. So I was fortunate that I was fortunate that I got an opportunity to, I'm one of the few guys that got an opportunity to play with all of those guys and have friendships with all of those guys. And all those guys uh, mentioned me in their book, you know? So I learned a lot and, and, and I was fortunate. I was fortunate. Uh, to be a part of that. I was fortunate to be in the time period that I was in and I uh, will relish those times for the rest of my life and um, I hope to pass those uh, times on to my, because they were all in my life, my kids and everybody knew who these guys were. You know, they knew what they came to their schools once upon a time. So yeah, I learned a lot. I could tell you this much, Curly, Pistol, Gator, Middle Arc, and uh, what was the other one I had? Curly, Pistol, uh, Marcus Haynes. Marcus Haynes. This is what I could tell you. And you could write it down. Unless you were on the court with them, unless you sat in the room with them, the half haven't been told. <laughs> unless you saw what they did in a game and you were not on TV, you were there, you were reading the crowd, you felt what's going on, the half hasn't been told. You have traveled the country uh, doing motivational speaking and inspiring others. What, what, what about that brought passion to you to do that and inspire communities and inspire individuals? Well, I, uh, um, when I joined the team, uh, it was actually the shooting stars because Meadowlark had left all the Globetrotters had just walked out at that uh, couple of years before that. So Middlearch had the Bucketeers, and then he had the Shooting Stars. And I came along with the Shooting Stars. So everyone always billed us as the Harlem Globetrotters, red, white, and blue ball, Curly, Middlearch, all these guys. So in my first year with the Shooting Stars, um, Nancy Reagan had a program called Just Say No. So being a rookie on the team outside of carrying the bags, outside of sitting next to the bathroom in the back with all the balls sitting next to you, outside of being the last one to get your per diem and all that stuff, I had to go speak in the schools. And I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no idea what I was talking about, but we had to learn something to say. We, you know, we, we could go in there and say, just say no. That only lasted so long. So we learned to say no. So I, I figured, I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to develop something so I have substance. And the more I worked with the kids in the school, it it, 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 it it morphed into the community and it morphed into the statewide, you know. So it was it was Nancy Reagan's program that really got me my start. And I just didn't know any, any other way to be. And, and I tell people, 
I don't think uh, my dad was my both my parents were very community oriented people. And maybe it wasn't that I was a good guy or anything that that's all I knew to do. You know, it's just help people out. So let's kind of build off that going to the schools. Tell us about your anti-bullying campaign and the applause program. So the uh, applause program, I knew you was going to, Mr. Adams, I'm going to get you, you know. Uh, my my applause program started, it's a character education program. And everybody, I said, well, kids need to learn how to applaud themselves. Kids need to be able to go, I did a good job. So the acronyms, uh, boy, the acronyms, the A stands for anti-bullying. The P stands for power of personal persuasion. Uh, the other P stands for something. The L stands for lifelong fitness. And it goes all the way down to suicide prevention and education. So I went into the schools and uh, I had become very good at it. At first, when I went into the schools, I had to use, I had to do some, we call them reams. Some people call them tricks, but we call them reams. I had to do think about 50,000 reams to do in order to keep the attention of the kids. And then I was, uh, uh, shoot, I was probably 24, 25 years old and I probably looked like I was 17. So I'm going into middle school and all the young girls are screaming and stuff like that. So I said, man, I gotta learn how to do something, you know, that has substance to this. So that's why I developed the applause program and it's uh, my violence free program where I work with police uh, organizations, law enforcement across the country. And we put on violence free basketball camps where um, um, the, uh, the police department, fire department, and they will give me funds to put on free camps for kids. Uh, you wrote a book called Perfect Assist. Tell us what inspired you to write the book. And what does the message in the book mean to you as you're uh, going around, you know, letting people know that you, you have this great book? Well, you know, when I was coming through, uh, I knew my jump shot was broke, you know, but one thing I could do, I could, I could play defense and I could pass the ball. So what I did was I came up, I said, you know what? When Magic Johnson, Steve Kerr and all those guys were not Steve Kerr, uh, John Stockton, when they were leading the country in steals and assists, I said, you know, I mean, in assists, I said, you know what? I want to lead the nation in assists. But in order for me to lead the nation in assists, somebody has to have success first. I could, The difference between a pass and an assist, if I pass you the ball and you miss the shot, I don't get credit for it. I can only get credit if you get credit first. So I start to think about people in my life who assisted me on and off the court. And those people that assisted me on and off the court, my mother, my father, uh, custodians, teachers. So it was a tribute to those people who assisted me off the court. And I also use it for corporate speaking, uh, helping uh, build a culture. And see, that's what sometimes a lot of people don't understand. Magic Johnson couldn't be magic unless somebody had success first. If managers, teachers, if they would look and position themselves that their students have success first, man, what a wonderful world we would be in. 
So my book is just to inspire people to, you know, it, it's kind of a, a lesson in humility. You know, you could humble yourself, but to humble yourself, you're humbling yourself just to give somebody an opportunity to have success for we all, so that we all could win. So this is my last question. So I'm going to make it a two-parter here. <laughs> so you are part of the history of the most famous basketball team of all time. I, I don't know if there's any argument in that by, by anyone. So what did it mean to you to be part of that team? How did you get on it? And then tell people where they can reach you to book you, uh, you know, for your appearances and, and what they can book you for. Well, um, when I was a kid, there was a, uh, uh, on a Saturday morning, it was ABC Y World of Sports. It would go the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Man, we would wait up every day to see that guy falling off the mountain with snow, you know, flipping and stuff like that. Then one day I turned on the TV and it was the Harlem Globetrotters. It was Meadowlark Lim and Curly Neal. And man, I was looking at these dudes. It was me and my brothers and all this stuff was going on. And I'm just, I'm mesmerized. I'm, I'm focused in. And you know, would always kind of, I would always kind of wonder how did my brothers not see the same thing I was seeing? When I saw that ball whipping around and singing, for whatever reason, it was communicating with me. And I said, that's what I want to do. But I didn't know about the comedy piece about it at really at first because I was just into the ball and, but then the comedy piece came to me a little later on. Then I realized, ah, oh, you know what? There was a show called Carol Burnett Show and uh, Harmy Corman or whatever. Uh, he was a streaker and he used to have on a, 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 a London fog coat. And whenever he go up to people, he opened up his coat and go, wow. And then, you know, everybody would start laughing. So one day I was late for school and um, I went to go get a, a hostess pie so I could break off the ends of it. The ends used to be so good. So I said, wow, I'm late for school. So now this is going to tell you what my thinking was. So I said, I better write a note. So my teacher um, will let me in school. You know, I won't get in trouble. So I wrote the note. Uh, please, please. I didn't even spell excuse right. Leslie from class. I'm very sick. And then I, I put sign, Les's mother. And that's how I got busted. <laughs> I did not, never knew that parents had to sign the thing. I just put who wrote it. So when I got into school, the teacher was there and she was just boiling. She was going to go on. So I had that trench coat on and I opened up the trench coat and went, whoa. And everybody started laughing. And I said, no, I know what I want to do. So I knew then that I wanted to entertain and basketball was just a means of me uh, entertaining folks. So uh, uh, it was something. And it's so funny when I'm out there entertaining, the world that I'm in is just me. I'm not really in the crowd. You know, I'm just I'm just really into my world. What do I need to do to, you know, uh, perfect this? And the, the laughter and stuff is just a byproduct of me trying to perfect something, if that makes sense, you know? 
I did have a question for you, but I want to change it up a little bit. Go ahead, tell, go ahead. Tell me about your most memorable moment playing with the Harlem All Stars. Like, what was oh, your memorable man. moment? Everybody always asks me this, and it's it's pretty much the same story every time. We were playing in Stockholm or Skeleptia, Sweden. So when we tour and we go over tour, we played the pro teams overseas because the pro teams wasn't coming over to U.S. like they do now. You know what I mean? It wasn't that international play. So we're playing an international team. They got a seven-footer. They got guys from New York. And, you know, we ain't coming over there. We ain't, we, we're not trying to get busted up. So Middle Art knows we're going to put on the show, but Middle Art doesn't want to check out the game. Middle Ark want to play with these young cats. So this guy that was like seven feet tall, he grabbed the rebound and he brought it down. He didn't elbow Middle Ark uh, intentionally, but he brought it down and it hit Middle Ark in the nose, busted his nose. And Middle Ark's hands were so big that if he put his hand on his nose like this, his hand be on top of his head like that. Middle Ark, did you see the color purple? When Oprah Winfrey, she balled up that fist. Middlelark balled up those, those fingers were so long, about 12 inches long. Balled up those fists. <laughs> and he hit that dude, and the dude fell out on the ground. Said, oh, my nose, oh, my nose. And Middlelark said, I told you, don't be touching on me like that. He's just talking. And so we're sitting here, so here I am on my, I think this is my second world tour. Here I am, I'm in the middle of the floor. And I'm looking like, is this real? The dude was on the floor. The, the, the bench cleared. Middlelark grabbed the guy by the neck. And Middlelark's fingers were so long, they wrapped around his whole neck. So we went in it. So overseas, they throw stuff at you. You know, overseas, they throw stuff out of the stand. So they were throwing stuff out of the stands, and we went into the locker room. Middlelark went into the back. And he was back there. He was hot. So the, the promoter came on and said, he's not playing. And, we, and we're sitting there kind of going, this is his team. How are you going to tell him? So what they didn't know was that we played the first two quarters are comedy. The third quarter after halftime, whenever you see the water bucket, when we do the water, the third quarter is always serious play because if we're losing, we make it up in that third quarter. Hmm. And then we go back to the show. We were losing. We were losing. And Millark was hot. We had a 14-hour. We went from Stockholm to Skeleftia. It was like a 14-hour train ride. We were motion sickness. Man, Millark didn't play the third quarter. We came back out. We busted those cats up. So, But what happened was Millark checks in. So Millark goes to the, the scores table. And he presses, and, and all of us are sitting over there, what's happening? They were booing him. They were going, boo. And some people tried to throw stuff on the floor. The promoter tried to come in. The ref held him on. And Middlelark was out there. Because when Middlelark, when he's talking, you know, when he, he's doing that screaming, you know, have you ever seen the Globe try to play? Well, Middlelark is really talking. He said, come on, talk to me. Hey, t t t sit on him in the bushes. Sit on him in the bushes. Me take a long shot. Hey, I think I need a drink of water. Da, da, da. Ba, ba, da. So when he's doing that, he's really giving us instructions on what he sees going on. So they were out there, and I and they were booing him. I heard one clap. 
Then all of a sudden, I heard about three or four people clapping. Then all of a sudden, I heard people laughing. And I'm saying, I can't believe this. And then it was like, uh, so the team came down and scored. I got the ball out. I passed it to Middlelock. Middlelock shouted at the wrong buck. I grabbed the ball and said, hey, hey, that's our bucket down there. He said, well, ain't nobody guarding us down here. I said, no, that's our bucket down there. He said, down there? He said, down there. So he took two dribbles to the hash mark, and the clock was ticking down. It was 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and then we got to 4. Middle Ark yelled out, a tisket, a tasket. I'll think I make a basket. He heaved that thing from the hash mark and shot it to the other side, hitting nothing but net and ran straight out the gym. The crowd went <laughs> crazy. And it was one of those stories. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't believe it. But I got plenty of witnesses who seen him do that. So I've seen him do that. I've seen that hook shot. Save us a lot of nights, you know. So that was what that's probably one of my most. Uh, I got plenty of them, but that was the one that was most, um, um, uh, that stood out the most, you know. Oh, yeah. yes, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, so no. I'm, I'm, I'm taking off for the Philippines, uh, this Saturday. I'll be there, uh, and I'll be back in the country in uh, four or five days. And if people want to book me for speaking engagements, uh, they could go to my website, which is www.peeweeharrison.com. www.peeweeharrison.com. And then on there it says book Peewee. You could click that and it'll book me and I'll make it out to you guys. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Les Peewee Harrison for joining us tonight. We appreciate your time. Well, you know what? I was excited to to get on. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I've been running, 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 trying to make 100. And then guess what? My grandmama told me 99 and a half won't do. So I had to get back out there fussing. But see, you don't know about that. You're from, you from Florida. Y'all ain't got too many bushes down there. Y'all got gators down there. That's right. That's right. Eaters and sharks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we got some sharks up here, but they only got two legs. <laughs> Well, well, it was a pleasing pleasure. Thank you guys for allowing me to be on your show. And um, I would love to get a copy of it or see where it airs. I, I will paste it on my social media. Okay, great. Yeah, and I'll remind everybody, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you so much for watching. Everybody have a great night. Deuces.